even though it brought out some of the worst in humanity, it highlighted our bad parts, but then it also brought out the best in each other. I really believe that we need to continue that, encouraging that, bringing out the best in each other rather than the worst so we can move forward. That was the environmental cowboy, Corey Hancock, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. G'day, I'm your host, Charlie Arnott, and in this podcast series, I'll be uncovering the world of regenerative agriculture, its people, practices, and principles, and empowering you to apply their learnings and experience to your business and life. I'm an eighth-generational Australian farmer who transitioned my family farm from industrial methods to holistic regenerative practices. Join me as I dive deep into the regenerative journeys of other farmers, chefs, health practitioners, and anyone else who's up for a yarn, and find out why and how they transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome to the show. Uh, this episode of The Regenerative Journey, I'm joined by Corey Hancock. Uh, you might know him uh, better as the environmental cowboy. He's got a big following on social media. He uh, is often heard and seen at conferences and, and on webinars talking about environmental issues and making us generally a lot more conscious about the impact we're having and, and the solutions that we can all apply to uh, creating a better world for ourselves and our children. We dug pretty deep about um, Corey's you know, history and how he got to the point of, of wanting to make a big change to his life and the lives of others. Uh, you know How he came up with the, the persona of the environmental um, cowboy and, and why. Uh, his involvement with Landcare, which is extensive. Um, you know, we talk about human compassion and resilience in this sort of time of crisis, you know, through the bushfire period and, and now in this sort of uh, uh, mid-COVID-19 um, uh, uh, world. Um, we talk about sort of, you know, comparing sort of the responses of sort of fear and anger versus compassion, um, inner happiness. Um, Corey's putting together a documentary as well. We, we talk about that and why he's put that together and plenty of future projects and plans that Corey's got in the pipeline that uh, that we share, that he shares with us. So uh, really excited to have caught up with, uh, with Corey. Um, fantastic fellow who's doing some really cool things um, and he's got a very bright future in front of him. So I uh, trust to enjoy as much as I did uh, my interview with and chat with uh, Corey Hancock. Corey Hancock, how are you? Mate, it's great to be here. I am fantastic. I've come <laughs> from Weeper yesterday. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here, Charlie, to be around like-minded people for the weekend. Um, looking forward to the, uh, this interview, um, Corey, I've been stalking you. Uh, well, actually, I've been stalking the environmental cowboy, not actually Corey Hancock for some time now. Yep. Do you want to tell us about, um, about the environmental cowboy and, and how he came about and where that all started? Right. So I'm going to go right back to the beginning. Yeah, I, I, I was brought up on a cattle station in central Queensland, Carnarvon Gorge, near Roma, if you know where that is. I know where Roma is. Yeah. And um, look... I spent a lot of time in the creek as a kid, a lot of time. And from eight years old, I had a bird watcher's journal. This is not a very cool thing to admit. You're a twitcher. A twitcher. Fantastic. I, I was anyway. And uh, yeah, proper scientific journal. Mm. And I used to place myself on the edge of the creek on this particular waterhole. And I never once hid from the birds. I always loved to watch the way that they interacted with me. 
and uh, I wrote down those observations. And so from a very young age, I developed that um, not only the connection to nature, but a real genuine interest in, in how we interact with nature. And it was more strongly um, uh, uh, embedded into me at a bit of an older age um, when I became a teenager and we went through a really serious drought at the time, mm. not anywhere near the droughts that we're seeing now, but it was still hard. And the neighbouring, the people in the neighbouring cattle stations, especially the men, um, would commit suicide and really close to us. And mm. I saw that ripple effect across the whole community. So I saw that direct relationship between nature, what was happening to nature and people. And so fr from that, like, I just... A natural interest stemmed in uh, wanting to teach people, wanting to learn more. So I, I went into a university degree at the University of the Sunshine Coast. I did environmental science, environmental planning. I'm now a 10-year environmental professional working in industry um, across a number of different industries, one of which I'm pretty passionate about agriculture. And I really started to understand that people weren't really getting these messages because of our, that disconnection to, to nature. And so I wanted to learn a bit of a different way to communicate those messages. And it all stemmed from um, when I was working in carbon farming out on cattle stations from <coughs> Cobar, New South Wales, up to Winton and Queensland. And I was just travelling on my own. So I, I always had a dream of starting documentaries and film and communicating what I was doing out there and how important it was to not only city people but country people and trying to bridge that disconnect. And so I just started with a camera in the bush and I was terrible to start with. I tried to make jokes and I, I wasn't funny, but I was still releasing it online and still um, uh, learning along the way. And from that, this environmental cowboy persona, I just like everything, um, uh, when you're passionate about something and you just keep on going, you're persistent, consistent, I just got better at it. And I eventually developed this whole persona called the environmental cowboy, which is just a more effective way to communicate scientific messages and uh and have a bit of fun with it at the same time and draw a bit of attention to a cause that's um, uh, becoming increasingly important in this day and age. And um, Corey, what are the what are the most important messages that the environmental cowboy is um, is telling, is, is, um, is spreading? It's changed a bit from when it first started. When it first started, it was just climate change awareness, trying to get um, everyone up to date with the actual science. There was a lot of miscommunication going on around about the science. And where, like, where it's up to, um, where the world's headed, and the connection between the extreme weather events that we're seeing, the droughts and everything, and then the connection to people and how that's impacting people. So to start with, it was awareness. Now, it has changed over the last 12 months, particularly due to the increased awareness globally on this issue. So my approach has changed to it. I'm really solutions-focused now. So regenerative agriculture is one of those solutions uh, seaweed farming, renewable energy. I'm focused on a number of different climate solutions and, and coming up with the actual strategy and creating a compelling vision for people to w actually want to implement these solutions. And there's a lot of <coughs> barriers that we're facing at the moment, a lot of people's fears, and, um, and, and I try and delve into people's psychology and how we can actually overcome our own fears to implement these solutions at a faster rate. And before we, we get to those some of those solutions, um, I know that you met David Ward many years ago. How, what how sort of influential was he in your 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 trajectory from that point? David is uh, a huge mentor of mine, a really good mate, and I, I met him out on that same um, 
job that I was on at Carbon Farming. And he came at a time where I I didn't really, like obviously I was brought up in cattle station. Um, I didn't really know enough about the regenerative holistic agriculture side. He really introduced me to that side of it. Um, he brought me along on a journey. And I think this is what we don't talk about enough in regenerative agriculture is that it is a journey of self-discovery and it takes a very long time to get into it because our beliefs and our values have come from traditional culture, Australian culture, which has been primarily about domination, dominating nature. Um, and regenerative agriculture is less about ego and less about domination and more about being more aligned with nature. And so he brought me along on this journey, this regenerative journey, and he really... That's the, how did you, that's the name of my podcast, of this podcast. Yeah, The Regenerative the re, Journey. The Regenerative Journey. Well, it, it is. It's, it's the fifth, <laughs> Charles Massey says it's the fifth um, uh, principle of Regen Ag is um, that mindset shift. And that mindset shift is extremely complex because uh, we face our own individual internal challenges um, that we have to sort of overcome. And it's all about going on your own journey and being around like-minded people, being open-minded and listening to people like yourself um, and, and just listening to their journey um, to try and implement the changes in your own life. And, and so that's very hard because we've, we've gone from culture to culture to generation to generation uh, with the same beliefs and the same values and people don't like change. But change is happening whether we like it or not. Uh, regenerative agriculture is one of those things that we can sort of really learn to um, implement along the way and everything that comes off the back of this mindset shift it is helps yourself as an individual like i feel more free as i've gone on this journey i feel more aligned with nature i feel like i understand everything better i feel more connected to community um i've met wonderful people through it like david like yourself um I, I, everything is nothing bad has come from this change. Mm. And we are so stuck in our ways at the moment um, and so stuck in an economy that's driven with demand and stuff that we don't get an opportunity to, to look into ourselves and into nature itself. Um, and so one of the solutions that I really talk about is to really spend more time in nature, to mm. really deeply understand it, to get that connection back, and then all the solutions will eventually stem from there. I can't agree more. You know, the we're, we're here essentially talking about agriculture, or that's sort of you know a bit of a focal point. And we're here on uh, National Regenerative Agriculture Day at the farm at Byron Bay, and there's a collection of wonderful advocates and educators um, talking this afternoon. You know, getting messaging sort of uh, aligned. Um, yeah, what I've found in this water of regenerative agriculture is it is so much more than that, isn't it? It's it is about self, you know, you've individuality, one's place in nature, um, sort of personal development. And actually, it's a unique form of personal development because it combines our love of nature and agriculture and our lives and our families and our businesses. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm really personally passionate about indigenous culture, and um, and you look at the indigenous; they survived for seventy thousand years. Mm. Seventy thousand years. There's evidence going back seventy thousand years that they survived in Australia. And through climatic changes, right? The only difference now is that it's happening a lot faster. <coughs> but they um, went through these climatic changes, and, and um, they went through a ten thousand year ice age, right? And 
So with that 10,000 a year ice age, obviously resources got less and less. And, um, and instead of groups becoming fighting over resources, like there were clans all across Australia, mm. <coughs> and instead of groups fighting for resources, they actually came together in, in that time of hardship. They started communicating with each other. Like um, they went from tribe to tribe going, well, do you, you have water over there? Do you know what that, where that water place is? Mm. Do you know how to get that? And then, oh, you guys have some nuts that we might be able to use. So they started collaborating at a, at a higher pace. Um, they started collaborating. They started coming together rather than dividing, which was, uh, which was quite incredible because we're at a point in history now where we need to uh, come together rather than, rather than divide. Yeah, sorry. I'm a bit... No, no, we, you were just grabbing the water. <laughs> you were grabbing you a bit more. It was that coffee. Uh, <laughs> it was a wonderful coffee, but it's it given you a dry throat. Yeah. Um, Corey, let's talk about talking about dry things. Let's talk about bushfires. We've yep. we've we've um we've just been through um an incredibly challenging month in January. Um that's not to say there weren't bushfires in December and you know, September. Um uh uncommonly early in the year, in the bushfire sort of season. What do you think's been what – what have we learned? What, 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 because there's been so much in the media. It's all, it's all dropped now. There's been a heap, heap of rain. It's almost like it didn't happen. What have we learned as a nation? I think that we have learned that we need real leadership in a, in a time um, of hardship like we've, we've been through. It really caught everyone off guard. Mm. And um, I don't think any of the climate scientists – or anyone really expected uh, something so savage to occur at such a early time. Like we've been predicting these type of events for a long time, but we, we didn't really expect that severity. And so it's really, I mean, politicians, right, they haven't had to be real leaders in mm -hmm. the past and they didn't really know what to do. But well, they, but, well, they took off. Yeah, well, that's one. And and uh, when he when he even came back, he wasn't. He he just was lost. Mm, like, mm. but I think that this what this has really highlighted is it's bringing real leadership to Australia. It's highlighting that we need real leadership. It's highlighting the people that will be leaders in the community, like Shane Fitzgibbon. Mm. How amazing was he? Like, he came up with a strategy. Thank you. Came up with a strategy, a plan to. Um, and then he was uh, also gave people the information that they needed. Mm. He gave people hope, and he stood up time and time again. And he was empathetic. Yeah. I mean, th this incredible is that he got that. Like, I mean, the years and years of training, I guess. But what a what an appropriate leader to be leading us through that at that time. Oh, and he, and he and he brought people together. And it's not just that the whole world came together. You know, in a in a time of crisis. I mean, Celeste Barber. But 65 million or 70 million incredible. or whatever it was, it's just yeah. incredible. The whole world came together for this. So it gave me incredible hope because people actually came together in a time of crisis. The whole world did. And I think that we are going to face uh, events like this into the future, but it gives me great hope that it brought out, even though it brought out some of the worst in humanity, it highlighted our bad parts, but then it also brought out the best in each other. And I really believe that we need to continue that, encouraging that, bringing out the best in each other rather than the worst, and um, so we can move forward. So 
Again, what what are some of the what do you think some people can do? I mean, farmers, I guess, can. Um, I mean, there's a lot of lot of you know uh, bush was burnt. You know, so there's some regeneration projects going to be undertaken and using various methods to do that. Um, I mean, there are immediate actionable steps that farmers can take. What sort of steps can those who aren't farmers, urban um, dwellers who've been watching this on the media, you know, what, what can you suggest they can do to, apart from having already perhaps donated some money to Red Cross and, and, and Wise and so on, what can they do? And I'm not just talking about the bushfire situation. I'm talking about, you know, to make, to contribute to, to the environmental um, issues we've got. Yeah, um, I think that one of the biggest things, well, straight away for the bushfires, they can go on a trip out there mm. and actually look into the communities and, and buy from there, buy from the shops. Um, I, I, that's one of the biggest things they can do right now is get out there then. And then in general, I think we need to be more aware of our policies moving forward uh, um, and implementing them and um, actually making change in their own company. So I'm a big uh, believer in going towards um, whatever job you have. It doesn't mm. matter if you're a doctor or an engineer or a mechanic, you can implement climate environmental solutions into, into your job. So for example, a mechanic, you can um, Im- improve your waste process. Yep. For a doctor, you can put solar panels, encourage solar panels on, on, your, on your roof. Um, there's, there's, I guarantee there's an environmental solution for every career and it'll help, right? And, and the biggest thing that I really believe in is that people will make a difference on the individual level because the individual adds up to mm. billions of people. You know, so, um, you know, one person alone can't make a significant, significant difference, but 7 billion people all acting together as one, that's, that can make a statistically um, significant difference. And that's where we need to get to, but it starts at the individual. So your own changed heart and mind can then influence others, mm-hmm. right? So we have to start at that internal journey ourselves. We have to get there. And it's uncomfortable, right? Like it's uncomfortable to face our own egos and where we might be stuffing up in, in our lives, our own lives. Um, but once you do that, once you face that fear, that uncomfortable side, you start to feel more free inside yourself, like this whole regenerative journey i've been on it's not about ego it's it's about being more aligned with our natural selves being more in touch with nature being more in touch with people in the end um so you have a better connection with community you have a better connection with yourself um you have a better connection with environment and you're actually making a significant difference in the world i think that is one of the special things about this regenerative um, community that you and i are involved in is that we are part of something that's actually making a difference in the world and, and we're striving to and, and we're influencing other people and it's, um, it's a journey. It's, it's almost a spiritual journey, mm. I would say, um, that, that you go on yourself and it's one of growth, uh, personal and professional and, yeah, and, and love and connection for everything and, and everyone around us. Let's talk more about that. The you know the psychology of it. You know the psychology of change, um, and and you know I'm often often talking to farmers about that. But there's a um, but, but you know even urban dwellers, as we were saying, you know people living in the city. You know their attitude to um, as you say waste management 
um, you know that that sometimes can be quite a challenge for them to get their head around. So you know what what you know, how important is the psychology and how what are some of the steps you think people can take to sort of start as I say changing the paddock between their ears first? Yeah. So as a as a culture, mm. we have become so disconnected from the natural world, and that that stems from living in in a concrete building, right? Like we go from you know our, our um, our box in our room, we get in our box car, we drive to, you know, the box gym before work and then we go from there to the box office and we look at a box computer all day. And then we don't ever have that physical connection to nature, which the Indigenous had, right? They had that physical connection. So when we talk about country, um, we talk about countries in, so uh, Australia, for example, we say it's a geographical location, it's a place, it's a thing, like you can see it. Whereas when the Indigenous talk about country, it's so much more and so much deeper, at such a deeper level um, into their own hearts and minds. It, it, it's talking about their ancestral history. They can actually upload data in, from their ancestors. They can talk to their ancestors through the land. They, they are the trees, they are the forest, they are one with nature itself. Um, they are not above or below it, they are a part of it, but it also supports them in the present. So it's their past, but it's also the present. And they also can use that knowledge to propel themselves into the future. It's like how to look after the land into the future. All their values, all their beliefs, all their management systems to do with the environment comes off the back of that belief system. So I am I, I fundamentally believe that we need to change our beliefs um, to, to change our management systems and reconnect ourselves back to nature because the solutions and the management will come from that. So getting back into nature, getting connected with people, uh, like-minded people, um, learning from the right people and learning more about the Indigenous culture and why it is like it is. Because it, it's, you, I can talk about it till I'm blown in the face, but unless you're actually involved with that, unless you understand, because it's at, it's at a depth that is so much deeper than what you and I can talk about. It's something you have to feel. It's something you have to go out uh, on the land with them, talk to them, and and understand that that belief. Um, because it, it everything that that they did has stemmed off the back of that and they survived for 70,000 years. So we've got to have learnt something off them to move forward and, and incorporate those principles into our culture because as a Western culture, we've become completely disconnected from that. Mm. We, I mean, as David Marsh, one of my uh, mentors and, and buddies, um, you know, he says we have a – generally we have an economic relationship with, with our landscape. You know, that's essentially what I, you know, that's the defines industrial agriculture as we see it today. So um, what, um, Corey, what, what's, what are some of the things that we can actually implement that um, uh, the Indigenous peoples of Australia have actually been using, implementing, you know, um, the methods and so on? And, and I'm yeah. not just even talking yeah. about the, the, the physical stuff, you know, some yep. of the, just the ways of thinking. Yeah, that's a really good question. That's something I'm quite passionate about. So... <clears throat> that that belief system that they had was a value on nature, right? Mm. Which we don't value. All our economic systems are based off the degeneration of nature, the extraction, the taking away of trees. 
they based their value on nature on the regeneration of nature. They wanted to keep it regenerating so it could keep on giving back to them. So that's what we're missing, right? And so when you talk about carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere, we talk about it as a problem. But what is carbon dioxide? It's actually a natural resource like yeah. any other, like uh, gold, like oil. It's not, it's not poison. We're sort of, it's almost like we're carbon dioxide. No. Yeah, it's just a natural resource. There's just too much of it in the atmosphere right now. But carbon is the building block of life. Mm. If we place a, the same value on, on that building block that the, that the indigenous used to have, that same value on nature itself, then we can start to turn our economy around. It's not based on degeneration. It's based on the regeneration of nature. That is just a perspective change. That is just thinking about carbon the same way that we do gold. And when you think of it as, as, a, as a life block, like as a building block to all life on Earth, then that should be extremely valuable to us. And so when you place a price on carbon, when you talk about uh, policy, you can place a price on carbon. And everything will stem off the back of that. Emissions will start to, to, to go down and, and then people will start to regenerate nature through um, uh, industries like carbon farming, which includes regenerative agriculture, which includes <coughs> forest regeneration, which includes ocean regeneration. Like everything is made out of carbon. Mm. So we can regenerate these systems if we change our mindset and our economy. Our perspective. Yeah, 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 our economic models. They just need to be switched. Corey, who um who inspires you? Who are the who are the people in your world, um, you know, past and present who've really blown your hair back, so to speak? Yeah, okay. Well, for you you for one. Um <laughs> Thank you, Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, um uh people like yourself, you're you're getting the voice out there, you you're really changing people's perspective, you've really done well incredibly well uh, in getting that message out there um huge influence in australia and there's not many of people doing that and and that's what has that flow on waterfall effect and obviously that's what keeps me going because in in what i do i have to like i mean you've seen my videos and the stuff oh, that they are hysterical they're fantastic if you haven't but, if you're not follow, following Corey, the environmental cowboy instagram <laughs> facebook it's your last one um on the the old spy sand, it's oh, a classic. Sand, it's yeah. really clever. No, no, I, hats off to you for for putting it out there because we've got to have a mix of you know. There's a serious side of yeah. of, of what we're doing, but there's you know if we don't balance that with a bit of humour, then you know we're all yeah. It can be a pretty dry topic. Sometimes. Well, that's the other side of it is that um, if you incorporate humour into messages, eighty mm. percent um, of more information is retained. That's mm. the study that's been done at the moment, which is pretty cool. But um, that's why I do that. But it, it's quite fearful for me to put myself out there like that, mm. um, especially working for, you know, I work for a professional corporate company. That's pretty hard. I mean, they love it. They take it on board and they love the messaging as well. As well. But um, at the same time, like, it's nerve-wracking, right? So to see people like yourself out there doing the same type of thing, I'm not half nude on a, on a white <laughs> stallion. I, I can't <laughs> be doing <laughs> But not not in that way. But you know what I mean. I'll like give it a shot. I'm, yeah, I'm we can give it a shot. shot. You and I'll do it next time. Um, Separate yeah. horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, no, but like it just uh, it gives me great courage to think that there's other people out there like that. So yourself, David Ward, in that space, um, definitely, and probably like more. Um, my, my father, definitely one one of the guys. Um, he. he 
he started up a, a, um, a, a group for like a rehabilitation program, I guess you'd call it. That's why we went out to Carnarvon Gorge um, for young people, 16 to 24-year-olds, which he was quite recognised for. He was 2001 Queensland of the Year. Um, wow. Yeah, but it, it was based off that. I said, how were you so successful? Like it was all about, you know, um, getting people's lives back on track, getting people's young lives on track. And he said, well, I let the bush do the talking. I let them reconnect themselves back to nature. And, and I think that's where my core belief has come from. So like I saw him so successful and rehabil- rehabilitating people's lives that were on drugs and went to jail and all types of things, but he just used nature to do that. That's all he did. And um, I think so. He's one of my heroes. Tony Robbins is another one. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, just uh, the way that he talks um, as a speaker um, and some of the stuff he talks about. Um, Al Gore originally inspired me um, just uh, for the fact that he started that global movement. Um, but I remember, I also remember uh, watching a, a video from Matthew McConaughey one, one time actually, and he said, uh, he was asked the question like, who's your hero? And it's like, well, it's me in 10 years. <laughs> you know? cool. Yeah. And, and he, he goes, I'm never going to, I'm never going to reach my hero. Cause like when they asked me again in 10 years, Oh, have you become your hero? And he goes, no way, no way. I'm always, I'm never going to be the best that I can be. So you're always chasing something better. So I think that's what I try and do as well. I try and get a mixture of everyone that I, I really respect and like. Um, and put that into myself um, uh, and be authentic. I, I like being authentic, but trying to grow and uh, always growing and learning along along the way, I think, is really important because uh, Bruce Lee is a really good example. Bruce Lee was uh, became the greatest fighter of all time because he took components of each style of fighting and put it into one style. So he became the greatest fighter. So I, I'd like to take that sort of perspective and just learn and grow all the way. Um, talking about learning and growing, um, mental health, I know you've been involved with the Naked Farmer movement. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Ben Brooksby, that, that, he's a bit of a hero of mine too, actually, uh, just because he, he started that, that movement and uh, it really helped. Uh, what, what, just, is, what is the movement? Explain it. What, okay, so <laughs> can anyone be involved? Anyone can be involved. <laughs> anyone can be involved. It's just a heap of uh, bare asses on 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 social media, basically. Um, but it's to promote. Do you have to be a farmer? Oh, no, you don't. No. no well, I'm I'm not technically a farmer yeah. anymore. Um, and, and yeah, he, I noticed a few city people getting in on it as well. Um, because it, it's a really good way to t- take light of a hard subject, like especially with males, right, out in Western Queensland, Western New South Wales, they don't talk about feelings, emotions, like it's a culture that is not entirely the right culture just because they don't want to talk about their feelings but then the the suicide rates are like three times as high as, as females and especially in, in rural areas. So to me it's quite passionate because I saw firsthand um, how damaging that can be to not only the, fam- the direct family but everyone in the community. Like it just sent ripples and it, it stuck with me. Like I just remember that call at, um, to my dad at four o'clock in the morning uh, where, you know, the, the wife couldn't speak and she just said, you need to come here. And mm. her husband had shot herself, shot himself at, at four o'clock in the morning uh, with, with, no, with, with no pre-warning, nothing. Um, and 
that just stuck with me. I was like, if if I'm going to be in this world, I'm going to try and change that um, that perspective that y- you can speak up. Um, it's masculine to speak up. It takes balls. It takes guts. Um, and it, we can do it in a fun way too and uh, to listen to people because we all go through ups and downs. I do all the time. It's about helping each other lift up basically and that's one of the ways to do it, to get naked on camera, take a photo of yourself <laughs> and put it on social media. So I'm, I'm very supportive of so that. So how do they do that? You, 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 just, you tag in uh, Naked Farmer on, on Instagram? Tag, yep, just look him up, um, yeah. The Naked Farmer and uh, take a photo of yourself nude. <laughs> Do you need it is a title? No, it's kind of title. It's it, got to well, be I think the title. I think it's just not. They can do some fuzzy stuff. Yeah, fuzzy stuff. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, and then uh, jump jump on that, and uh, or make a video if you want. I made a couple yeah. uh, funny videos for him, so um, there's not many of them getting around. But he's doing a horseback tour um, this this year or next year. Nice, just to raise uh, awareness on mental health. So yeah, he's looking for sponsors as well. If anyone wants to jump in. Now, talking about sponsors, um, the Regenerative Journey is uh, not so much sponsored but supported by Landcare Australia, yep. um, which we are very uh, appreciative of, um, you guys there in Landcare Australia. Um, Corey, what's been your involvement with Landcare? Uh, look, I back in uh, when I was working in Melmarin, I worked with uh, Rebecca Kirby in Melmarin Landcare, and she is equally as passionate as I am about soil health and... and um, and pest and weed management and feral animal management. Um, she was a go-getter, and she used to uh, organise these field days and um, workshop days for erosion and sediment control. Like I'm a certified professional in erosion and sediment control, so I, I helped out. I gave presentations there on how to fix gully erosion and that kind of stuff. Um, and so that was my involvement for two years in Melmarin with uh, with Landcare. It was a positive experience. I just I loved Rebecca. She was. Uh, I think the world of her. She comes to watch me speak occasionally as well still. So, uh, yeah, that involvement with Landcare, I just think it's so crucial to farmers just having those community days, those workshop days where you just get speakers in and you learn. You can all teach each other stuff. Because even with erosion sediment control, right, When because I have been brought up in the traditional sense and trained in the traditional sense in industry where you use dozers to fix gullies yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Mechanics. Yeah, and then I went out to Derek and Kiralee Blomfield's place mm. on um, uh, Colorado Station mm-hmm. there and they had a completely eroded gully but they just used cattle to to, ero- to um, make the batters better yeah. and everything and it was all grassed up and that to me was a completely new concept i was like this is this is a new concept in the international erosion control standards and so now i've introduced that element into my work which is incredible really because um because for so long it's been a certain standard but then i met other people along the way and they teach me different stuff so that all that stemmed off the back of land care really i think it was i think it's such a good movement and um and such a good sense of community um, within, uh, which we really need right now in that, that those rural areas. Well, this year is their thirty-first year in existence, and you know what? One of the things that impresses me about Landcare is its consistency. That it, over those thirty-one years, it has maintained its integrity, um, the um, you know its its governance, its intentions, its agenda. 
you know, throughout different changes, you know, changes in government, whether that be state or federal, um, and even council, um, and you know, people coming and going. Um, it's volunteer based, and they have, you know, they've ridden the the wave and you know the, the changes that have taken place in Australia for all those years, and they're also being relevant. You know, they're they're, they're you know, if you spoke to many land carers who've been at it for a few decades, you know what what they've been doing for those decades, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, is what where you and I are sort of talking about now. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, if you're not in a land care group, please look them up, try and, you know, join your local. Even if you're in an urban group, what I'm a big fan of is encouraging people to um, join a rural um, community, a rural land care group, and be involved. Pay it's like ten dollars per membership a year. It's like it's yeah, nothing. It's really worth it, and and also they're really getting um, <coughs> the region ag and holistic farming incorporated into their work now. I've noticed, like Rebecca's been ringing me lately, just uh, talking about all that kind of stuff. So they're they're really open to to learning. I feel yeah. um, new concepts, and and so yeah, it's really worthwhile getting down just to get even just to get that community sense and have a beer with people. Yeah. Totally. And talking about having beers with people, um, uh, 20 years ago, I think this is the 21st year, a, um, uh, a fellow was driving through Burua, um and he stopped at the pub and he was having a yarn one day to a fellow who was in the, in the local Burua Community Lanka group. And on the back of that conversation, for the last 20 years, a busload of people from the North Sydney Bush Care Group in combination with North Sydney Council, have come down to plant trees to restore superb parrot habitat of Burua. It's a benchmark um, model project um, that has won awards and it's been it's been replicated. It, you know, it, it can so easily be replicated elsewhere, and it's it's a great example of a relationship that has been um, yeah born in a pub um, in Burua that is bringing people year in year out to a country town and and actually them having a tangible you know, tangibly um, contributing to the habitat there, you know, and it's not, they're not going to save the world by doing that, but they are going to be making significant um, uh, improvements to the to the survival of the superb parrot. Oh, look, and that goes back to people's thinking that they can't make a difference, right? And it goes back to a saying that I really like is that um, uh, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world because in, indeed it is the only thing that have, has everything as an individual. Um, you can influence other people. Because, and then Holly Richmond said to me one time, which I, I really like this quote as well, is that um, your actions will create ripples, mm. ripples will make waves, and waves will change tides. And, and I think that's what the Regen Ag movement and Landcare is all about really, is making those ripples to change tides and I feel that change coming it, it's slow um, but it's happening a lot faster now because we actually need to change a lot faster and the hope is out there it's out there in the solutions it's out there in the people um, the bushfire crisis highlighted it. I, I really strongly believe that we have a strong future we just have to bring people closer together we have to find ways to bring people together land care is one of those ways that can do that now tell us about your documentary, Corey, um, A Dry Hope. Um, what was the sort of the genesis of that? Where, where, where does that stem from and where, 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 what, what, where's it going? What are we going to do with it? Yeah, so that was um, a documentary on my regenerative agriculture um, journey, I guess, and the, the properties that I visited along the way with David Ward as my mentor um, uh, to show solutions 
in the dry or to show hope in the dry that's why i call it a dry hope is to is to actually show the the solutions that are going on right now despite the the um australia's worst drought in history um there are people implementing these solutions and still getting by um everyone's struggling but they're getting by and their properties are bouncing back now that we've had a bit of bit of rain bouncing back a lot better than the their neighbouring properties that aren't implementing these. So it's about that. It's changed a little bit as well because <clears throat> I think that we need to start thinking a bit more holistically, bigger picture. And so some of that um, mindset stuff I want to go into a little bit more in the documentary. Uh, the Indigenous, I want to go into that Indigenous. I want to interview a few Indigenous people. I also want to go into uh, water management a little bit better um, and carbon farming. So I want to expand a bit past regenerative agriculture. I want to start there, but then grow. It's like, how does that relate to everyone else, to industry, to city um, and and to community uh, as well? Because we need to start thinking, even though we can start small, we need to start thinking more bigger picture, like beyond um um, agriculture in a way is um, as and we need to start seeing agriculture as part of the solution yeah. and so that's one of the big messages in my documentary is that agriculture is the solution it is one of the only major solutions for climate change and we have to change our perspective on that and once we see it as a major solution then everyone will just go straight onto it and talking about everyone, uh, how can can people help you? You know, you, you're looking for support there. How can how can our listeners in the world help Corey Hancock? Yeah, make I, this, I am for, looking, this forty minute uh, feature film. Yeah, I am looking for sponsorship. It has been promised to be um, shown on the major film festivals, such as the Transitions Film Festival, Environmental Film Festival. I also want to uh, sell it to National Geographic. So once finished, it'll get a fair bit of publicity. But yeah. I've self-funded everything up until this stage and I, I'm just basically out of money. You tapped out. <laughs> tapped out. Um, <laughs> and I would keep going if I could, but, um, yeah, I, I just can't. I need I need financial partnerships now, so I'm definitely looking um, for for people who are seriously uh, want to make a difference, mm. um, want an education that is that first step. We need to educate um, the wider audience on on some of these solutions, and, and film is one of the best ways to do that. It's storytelling, and throughout history, the only way that we've really learnt and embedded culture and beliefs is through storytelling, and and film is one of the most effective ways to do that. Um, so, get in touch with Corey. Instagram, I don't know, Facebook, any way you can. <laughs> DM him. Yep. If you if you if you're up to help, Corey. Um, let's go to eating. Yeah, you know, um, I know that you you sort of advocate eating less beef and even more kangaroos. Yeah, talk, talk us through that one. Yeah, so regenerative agriculture—it's it, very important that you know where your meat is coming from because <clears throat> it's not meat that's the problem, as you and I both know. It, it is the way that it is farmed, and the problem at the moment is that most of the farming, most of the beef farming, is industrial. It's almost not farming, is it? It's beef. It's like making. Factory, yeah, yeah, and one of the issues there is that such high demand, Mm. um, and and I've noticed in my job even in the environmental compliance world is that when it's such high demand and and you're just going from priority to priority, you're just producing, producing, producing. You don't ever get a chance to to look at what's actually real, what can make a significant difference. You don't get that opportunity to slow down and go, what can I do? that will make this situation better. 
because you're just you're just firing, you're just going bang, 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 one after the other. So I I advocate for less beef, just for the fact that um, we need to reduce that demand and we need to slow ourselves down. We need to slow the whole industry down so that we can start to think about things a bit better so we can have an opportunity to change. But the beef that you do eat, make sure that it comes from regenerative farms. You can go online and search that stuff, like Derek and Kira Lee, the conscious farmer. Um, there's a Sunshine Coast called The Catalyst. Um, I know yourself, you, you mm-hmm. sell a bit. Yeah. Um, so there are people... Iron Bay grass-fed. Iron Bay grass-fed, yeah. Yep, so... You, there, there are um, people out there that are selling this stuff. You just need to do a bit of research yourself. But more kangaroo for the fact that uh, <coughs> that they are have exploded in population because we put in more watering points around the whole of Queensland, New South Wales, and so that population has spread out a bit further. And so they do huge damage because it, it's not it hasn't been managed properly. So eating more kangaroo is definitely a more sustainable way to manage that population. And it's actually ethical as well. When I was out there, I saw um, a lot of, in, in the in the drought, I saw thousands and thousands of kangaroos starving, starving and dying of thirst because we weren't managing them. They were there in high numbers. Then all of a sudden they had no water because of went on drought. And so ethically we need to actually do something. Like we, we have done that. We have... Um, caused the kangaroo population to explode, now we have to intervene. And that's the same with our uh, beef management systems, our agricultural management systems in general. It's not just beef. It's crops as well. So, you know, that's industrial. We need to make sure that, you know, we're not doing no tillage. We're reducing our chemicals and fertilisers. That's all regenerative agriculture practices, as you know. Um, we need to change our entire systems and change our entire way of thinking. And um, I know kangaroos are a national emblem, so people are going to be a bit like, oh, I don't want to eat, don't eat that. But we actually have to change our mindset in that um, because what we're doing right now to the environment is cruel. We can't allow thousands and thousands of kangaroos to um, perish. starve, perish out there. It was it was horrible to watch. So um, by eating eating less beef, uh, the beef that you do eat from regenerative and more kangaroo. It's interesting, you know, and I agree that we have created the problem and so it's up to us to, to solve that problem. Mm. Um, at a time when, you know, given the bushfires, you know, millions of dollars have been raised um, and, and, a, and a large portion of that would be going to, understandably, and I, and, and I agree, you know, to sanctuaries to save wildlife, including kangaroos. So it's, you know, I can understand as, a, as a, an eater, you know, as, as, a, as a member of the public, um, you know, us talking about using a resource, really, you know, they they are they're our national emblem, but and, and they're they're something that I think we can use better. Um, at the same, you know, and, and promoting that in a, in a humane way. At the same time, we're seeing footage of kangaroos burnt and maimed and so on. Like it's, I can understand that the general public is maybe a little confused. Yeah, very much so. But we need to realise that that was in a. <clears throat> the coastline area mainly. Like we've got a huge country out there that um, we need to manage these systems a lot a lot better. Yeah. Um, Corey, let's talk about, um, I mean, learnings. Um, we we as, as humans don't always learn from our experience, but, you no. know, the, the, the way we can turn turn things around into, into you know, our experiences and positives is to actually acknowledge the learnings from you know, what we might call failures. What what learnings have you, what sort of big challenges have you had that you've, and what have you sort of learnt from them? Uh, a lot of the challenges that 
and the learnings that I've had have been from myself and my mistakes uh, personally um, and my reactions to stuff. Like everything that we do is based on survival, not we, we don't thrive, we don't look to thrive, we look to survive. And that's all based on our own fears and reactive sort of uh, ways. And so we are reacting right now to, to bushfires, to crises. We, don't, we are not proactive. And so one of the biggest learnings for me is to be conscious of that, be conscious of yourself and your own actions, the way that you react to people um, and the way that you react to certain situations. And, and that's what one of the things about regenerative agriculture is we need to start being more proactive. We need to start putting these processes, these systems in place now because in the future it's only going to get harder and we can't afford to to react to situations we have to start being a bit more proactive and, and that's really difficult right um because it goes against our very nature like it's it's based off um facing a saber-toothed tiger mm. you run from the saber-toothed tiger right now because it's in front of you it's a threat um but you're sort of saying like oh you need to train to sprint from that saber-toothed tiger that's going to attack you in 10 years time it's like everyone goes no, mate, they'll be right. Like, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. not being proactive about the situation. Yeah. You get run over, um, you get chased down anyway. So all these agricultural systems, um, it's about being proactive. And, and uh, that's really, it is really difficult to, to, to do that, to change um, within yourself. It's uncomfortable. Um, uh, but the way that I kind of look at it, which makes me giggle sometimes, is that I, whenever I react to situations or I get a bit cranky at someone or I get a bit egotistical or something, I just think, I don't want to act like Donald Trump. You know, I'm not him. <laughs> and it makes me giggle. He's, I'm like, he's yeah, your mate. benchmark. Isn't yeah, he is. Because he's, he's a perfect example of just a reaction. Yeah. He just reacts to situations. And I'm like, I'm not him, so I don't need to react like that. I can think, um, breathe, uh, step back and think mm. logically about it and then go again. And something I've learned and um, – it's been highlighted to me, and I guess when, when things are, you can then put that into your own perspective. But, you know, I know that when I'm uh, at the point of getting cranky with someone or, or a situation, um, I've found that being compassionate to that person, you don't have to go and hug them and, you know, butter them up, but just understanding they have their own story, their own yeah. life, their own experiences. And, you know, and, and I was only having a conversation with someone the other day that, you know, someone was particularly cranky with this person. And I said, um, you know what? Imagine being that person. Imagine being, you know, essentially that mean. Yeah. And and I love the quote that you know, um, when people are scared, they're mean. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a sort generally a source of fear that that creates the anger or the the however they're they're, they're reacting to you in in a, a less than appropriate way. So showing compassion, I found, which just sort of it just squares it off. It's like you know what? That's their yeah. their, their thing. I actually feel sorry for them. It's sorry, but it's like wow, you know. I hope I hope they get over whatever they're going through. I hope they they're less fearful, and I hope that in some way I can actually help them. And then we when we reframe the conversation or the situation like that, it just totally changes everything. Doesn't it? This is something I'm really passionate about. The, the if you look at good leaders in the world right now, Jacinda Hearn is definitely one of them. The New Sorry, Zealand who? The, Jacinda Hearn, the New Zealand Prime Minister. Yes, totally. Uh, the way that she acted or reacted to that situation with the 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 mass, the shootings mm. over there, and she decided to um, be empathetic and compassionate towards people. You watch the whole world come together and, and 
create love and not anger mm. and division. And that situation was pretty difficult. That could have been a bit more violent. That could have reacted a bit better. But she brought people together in a time of crisis. And that, that leadership is incredible. Like that empathy, that compassion, that love that she showed for people is uh, is real leadership. And also I was watching, uh, it's Valentine's Day, so I was watching a, a video recently from Matthew I, I noticed you walking today with a bunch of flowers. Um, <laughs> thought I was hoping they were for me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was watching this video, Matthew Hussey, he's a relationship guru for, uh, for women, mm-hmm. and he had this video going and, um, and he said, what, what do women want? And the first thing he wants is, well, I, I don't think women know what they want. But then he went on to say is that if they think they need to make a choice between a really nice guy or, or um, a, bad, a bad boy. And they think they have to make that choice. I put to you that there's someone in the middle, mm. a nice guy with an edge. Mm. And I think that's what people like is they like that bit of authenticity. But, you know, you're allowed to get angry but get angry and passionate and in the right way so that you, you're moving forward, you're actually creating solutions, you're creating a bit of energy but then always approach people with compassion and empathy. So there's two ways to the street, I think. And I guess there's a third option. It's like... Just have no one as well, isn't there? Yeah. You know, in yeah. terms of it's like, oh, it's not, you know, this or that. It's actually and or it's, you know what, I actually don't. You know, you know, you know talking about relationships, yeah. sort of thing, we actually don't have to. I mean, and that gets back to, you know, whether we're talking regenerative ag and the psychology of just being and also, you know, the world of biodynamics. You know, we, we talk about the practice of, but we also talk about the psychology and the 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 being comfortable with your individuality and your place in nature. So, you know, we don't have to... Um, uh, essentially, do things we don't want to do. You know, if we're comfortable with that, and we're and we're we're being true to ourselves, and we're living our values, we don't. We, we you know, we um we'll end up doing what we need to do. Yeah, you know, and what we're comfortable doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been single for five years. Five, now. Mi- five minutes. <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, 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 a few years now, and yeah. um, it's really allowed me to come into myself. Um, face my own fears, face my own fears of not just being alone, but um, uh, what can I do in this world that will make me happy? So that whenever I do meet someone, if I do, uh, that she will compliment me um, in a way where I will be okay doing what I do and and that we can grow together kind of thing. Um, So I really think that's important is that you need to go on your own journey. You can't rely on anyone else for your own happiness. You have to go on your own journey of self-discovery and, and personal growth and professional development. And it, it is such a wonderful feeling. Like before before I started the Environmental Cowboy, I definitely wasn't free. I was definitely afraid of people's judgments. I was um, afraid of, of, of uh, failing. I was fail- scared of uh, rejection. But I faced those fears um, and... Now I feel free, and now I, I I couldn't imagine my life without have started that because I've met so many incredible people. I've had so many incredible experiences that I never would have had if I hadn't have hadn't have started that. So, to anyone out there that is thinking of doing something that that has a big dream, and this was always a big dream of mine to do this kind of stuff, um, I was just too afraid to do it. And I had a big event in my life where I had a massive breakup, and it it broke me. Um, to the point where I was like I'd hit rock bottom and I didn't know what to do and 
I thought I needed to find what made me happy. And that's when I started. I started with a video camera in, in the bush and I started the environmental cowboy from that. And I found my inner happiness. I found who I truly was from that young kid um, back in the bush. I think that you can lose yourself along the way from other influences, um, from culture, from different beliefs, from being around different people. But ultimately who you are as a kid um, or who I was as a kid anyway is who I've become now. And I'm very proud that I can say that, that I, I, um, I, I am true to myself always. I'm always trying to low, grow. I, I make mistakes along the way. Everyone does. Um, but uh, I think the important thing is, is, is just being authentic and, and being happy and fulfilled. And once you, once you follow your passions and your dreams and you're doing something that, that is meaningful for t- to you in your life and that makes a difference, that contributes to the world in some way, then you, you can't go wrong. You, you end up feeling free and a sense of uh, connection with, with everyone around you. Corey, before we wrap up, um, tell me about the future. You know, what do you how, what do you see that being? Where are we headed? Um, you know, are you are you excited about the future? You you uh, are we heading in the right direction? Yeah, uh, we are heading in the right direction. It's too slow. <coughs> I've yep. got to be real about this too. Um, there is incredible hope. Uh, I think people, when people come together, they can be powerful beyond measure. I think love is powerful beyond measure. Like. The, that feeling of, of love, being in love, it can break down the dimensions of time and space. That's what it scientifically can do. So if we can really unite people with that connection, um, the whole world can really come together on, on some of the issues that we're facing, not just environmental issues, like social issues, economic issues. Humans are incredibly innovative and creative when we are faced with um, extreme challenges. So I think that that's... Uh, the first point to make is that we are powerful beyond what we think we are. But the second point to make is that we really are running out of time now. Like we have to be proactive about this. We can't be reactive to events anymore. These events are going to get worse um, and we are going to face some extreme challenges. But I think if we all come together, unite um, and be positive and empowering, um, empowering to each other, and remember our core values, remember who we are deep down, then we can overcome any challenge that we want. Projects, one last question, Corey. What, what, what can we expect from the Environmental Cowboy in 2020, 2021, up to 2050? Where we, what, what, what's, on the, what's on the table? Oh, look, I've got some big dreams in general. I'll start with this year. So this year I've got two major eco-expos, one in Sydney, one in um, Brisbane. Um, that... that I'll be emceeing and keynote speaking there. I'll probably get yourself there as a speaker for sure. one of them. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so those are the two big events. Uh, I'll just keep on doing keynote speeches uh, as I do. Um, I'm trying to finish this documentary. <laughs> I would really like to finish that. I'm actually going to, up to Torres Strait Island with Laura Wells um, for their Winds of Zenith Festival, which is all the festival, all the um, different islands on Torres Strait come together and they do their indigenous dances. It's like a community spirit. So I think we're doing a um, a film on sea level rise up there and and how what what the islands are doing to to face that. In the future, Charlie, I have some big dreams, mate, and they are they are far fetched, but I'm reaching them. I want to reach them. I want to build a, a leadership center uh, for for young people. 
And this is for the elite to train people to become leaders of the future. So everything that we've been talking about right now, um, we're going to need real leaders for the future because these events are going to get worse. We're going to need logical people that are compassionate, empathetic, but actually get the job done. So I want to train people to be physically strong, uh, emotionally strong, spiritually strong, and um, and also strategically strong so they can come up with the actual actual strategy. Um, so um, it'll be like an elite leadership camp. Um, I want to do that. I want to start up a seaweed, open ocean seaweed farming um company and then connect that back to agriculture so seaweed feed for cattle which reduces methane um, so i still want to be as heavily involved in the environmental carbon space but i'm trying to move more into that leadership coaching style space which i'm quite passionate about in the end and i love film i really do love film so somehow i really want to continue on that because i do believe that storytelling is one of those those big ways but yeah lots of dreams and um Look, it, it's it's a long road. I've found it a long road, but I'm I'm quite I'm very passionate about this, um, and it fulfills me. It makes me happy. So, uh, look, I'll I'll find a way, no matter what. And where can people find you, Corey? Like, if they want to get in touch with you directly, indirectly, follow you, where do we where do they go? Look, social media is a good one. Um, I've got an email. I've got a, a website as well. Um, I think my phone number is on my website. So website. Yeah, website. Yeah, www.coreyhancock.com. And Corey spelled K-H-O-R-Y. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit different. But and uh, Instagram, The Environmental Cowboy. Environmental Cowboy. Facebook. Facebook, The Environmental Cowboy. Um, I do a lot of information updates on uh, the Facebook page. That's my main sort of information, what you can do to help, individual solutions. Um and just keep up to date. Like if you want me to talk anywhere or anything like that, I can always, I'm always available to, to help out. I love talking at schools as well, primary and high schools. So I think young people are, are the future of this world. And that's what I really enjoy doing is, is talking at um, educating young people, really. They definitely are a future. And um, Corey, um, all the best for your future. It's been a real pleasure and honor to have you here today. And, um, I'm going to keep stalking you on Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> Vice versa, mate. I'll just pop up here and there. <laughs> mate, thank you so much for um, today. Well, I, I learned a lot. It. And thank you for being so candid as well. So um, really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you having me, Charlie. And uh, we'll be catching up this weekend for it's sure. It's been a blast. <laughs> well, what a wonderful conversation I was able to have there with Corey earlier this year. Actually, it was um, in mid to late February. It was at a gathering of like-minded regenerative farmers and advocates and supporters at the farm at Byron Bay, organised by the wonderful uh, Mike and Helen McCosker of Carbonate fame. If you don't, haven't heard about Carbonate, jump on their website, check them out, doing some fantastic things, rewarding, helping to reward farmers for their good work in sequestering carbon and uh, improving the environment. What a bright future I really feel uh, Corey has, doing some fantastic things. And uh, once we get through this this stage of COVID-19 and this isolation where we're all in, um, I'm sure you'll be seeing Corey at a whole lot of conferences and uh, speaking engagements uh, in the future. Our next podcast interviewee, our next episode, is with um, the wonderful Jim Gerrish. He is from the United States. I caught up with Jim at a migrating uh, um, conference, uh, field day, uh, up at Ebor um, in late February. And what a wonderful field day that was. Jim is fascinating. We talked all things regenerative farming, 
um, grass-fed beef. Um, we also talked a fair bit about health and human health and the, the connection between planetary health, human health, and, and the food uh, that we're growing and the soil that it is growing in. We're all getting to understand regenerative ag really stretches itself across quite a few different industries and professions and health, human health and, and planetary health sit squarely in there. So I trust you'll enjoy as much as I did my conversation with Jim Gerrish. And don't forget to subscribe, comment, share uh, this podcast, any other of our podcasts. Um, don't be greedy, don't keep it to yourself. Um, help spread the word and uh, the more we can get this podcast and the more, more importantly, we can get this information out there, the more people will enjoy it and the more impact we can have on the world. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. And as the recipient of the Bob Hawke Landcare Award, Charlie would like to thank Landcare Australia for their support in the creation of this first series of The Regenerative Journey.